This evening we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, the middle verses of this particular chapter. Interesting how Solomon has, has brought us through a world from the perspective of living life under the sun without God. It is always a reminder to us that the world isn't perfect. That's not God's fault. Man fell, man sinned. And what had been perfect, what had been complete in the God of creation began to lose its not only perfection but lose its beauty. I wonder about the beauty of of the earth when man alone walked with God. How beautiful that must have been. God even says of his creation that it was good. It was all good. That's why it was was so... uh, Captivating to hear us sing about our good, good Father. And sometimes that, that, that particular word good just doesn't capture the fullness of who our God is. How good he is, how good he really is. I do thank him that uh, much of the world, at least a lot of what we see in in the world, uh, there there remains somewhat of a beauty. I know that living in El Paso, Texas, we we sometimes uh, surrender to the fact that uh, there has to be a beauty in the desert. (laughs) But then, of course, after you look at pictures of pine trees up in the mountains and snow and and all of that, you would say, well, that's even prettier, you know. But I have talked to people who have actually lived in in places like, you know, mountainous regions that they're just tired of the cold and then they just want to, then they say, you know, there's a beauty here in the Southwest. But it's all subjective. It's all subjective. Because if you've done any traveling around the world for any amount of time, you realize there's a lot of ugly places too. And not ugly because God made them that way, ugly because man made them that way. So, we live in a fallen world. And Solomon looked at the corruption in the world and how oppressive that corruption was how it turned man into a covetous person. 
desiring only things for himself. And in desiring things for themselves, man became complacent and lazy. And because there was such a compelling nature in man to want more, it would only seem natural that he would only want more for himself. And this is where Solomon leaves us with this this picture of a man who's alone. And he has no one to leave what he has behind. So he says then in verse 9, which is where we're going to begin our study today, he says two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth. For he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Loneliness continues to be a a growing problem in our society, despite the quote-unquote togetherness of the COVID-19 stay-at-home lockdown and the apparent brainwashing exhibited in most, if not all, television commercials. Not much has really been said about the increase in domestic violence or the depression that many people are, are dealing with probably more than before or the suicide rates and other societal issues affecting homes and communities wanting to return to some normalcy. I, I, I just think it's, it's, it's so weak, you know, to keep pounding us with this, oh, listen, we're together with you. We need to understand what it means to be together. But it really means to be together and to appreciate one another. We'll come back to that little phrase, one another, in just a little bit. But a study was done a number of years ago by the American Council of Life Insurance, which reported that the loneliest group in America were college students. <laughs> that seems surprising. But next on the list were divorced people and then welfare recipients, and then single mothers, and rural students, and housewives, or should I say homemakers, and then the elderly. To point out how lonely people could be, 
An ad was found in a Kansas newspaper that read, I will listen to you talk for 30 minutes without comment for $5. Sounds like a hoax, doesn't it? But the person was serious. Yeah, you might ask, did anybody call? Well, it wasn't long before this individual was receiving 10 to 20 calls a day. The pain, you see, the pain of loneliness was so sharp that some were willing to try anything for a half hour of companionship. It has been written that after a visit to the palace to visit with Queen Victoria, the great poet Alfred Lord Tennyson commented, up there in all her glory and splendor, she was lonely. Nothing, whether it is royal status, wealth, public success, bustling activism, or inconsistent and unreasonable pandemic guidelines, can remove the need that we have for other people. The experiences of King Solomon with that solitary, independent man, as as he had been observing oppressive, covetous, and competitive attitudes in a world under the sun without God. That man in verse 8 had caused him to take a good look at the importance of friendship, the importance of companionship, and the value there is in people doing things together. Now, way back in the summer of 1996, now for some of you that might be way back, for some of us it's not all that way back, but way back in the summer of 1996 in a speech made just before the Republican National Convention, the vice presidential nominee, Jack Kemp, stated that he would now be Robert Dole's right arm, Robert Dole was running for president, that he would now be Robert Dole's right arm, taking his symbolism from the reality that Dole's right arm, having been paralyzed during World War II, would now be strengthened figuratively by his commitment to work side by side for their common goal of reaching the White House in that election year. That brought to mind a, a, a Jewish proverb which says, a friendless man is like a left hand bereft of the right. In other words, a friendless man is like a left hand deprived of the right. Solomon in his observations then concluded, hey, two are better than one. And though many see this passage as referring to marriage, and it's oftentimes a passage used uh, in marriage ceremonies, it is for the married and the unmarried who need to know that it is better not to work or live one's life all alone. And by the way, marriage is not mentioned once in this section, just so you understand. We, We saw the misery of We saw the misery of solitary selfishness in the life of that covetous man who kept everything within his own grasp. 
We now contrast that dark picture with the pleasures and advantages of friendship and social bonds. From the very beginning, this is what the Lord God said. From the very beginning, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. Again, of course, this is a passage that is used in wedding ceremonies as well. But it, it, you know, it, that's a specific uh, application. But in a general application, God is also saying it's not good that man should be alone. Period. And by the way, when he said it, it was still paradise where they were. It is not good that man should be alone. It was not good in paradise, much less in a wilderness of this insane world. I find it interesting that the psalmist, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, would write this in Psalm 68, verse 6. He says, God setteth the solitary in families. What an awakening. God setteth the solitary in families. He bringeth out those which are bound with chains, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. Kind of an interesting thought that somebody would be rebellious enough to want to just stay alone and be alone. In referring to friendship, Charles Bridges has written this. He said, Love sweetens toil, soothes the sting of trouble, and gives a Christian zest of enjoyment to every course of daily life. The mutual exercises of sympathy give energy to prayer and furnish large materials for confidence and praise. So, he says, love sweetens toil. And just like words mean things, to say that love sweetens toil implies that there is love that is to be shared in the work that we do. Because that very same love soothes the sting of trouble. Two are better than one. It gives a Christian zest of enjoyment to every course of daily life. We like to share about our victories. We like to share about our accomplishments with someone to say, Oh, that was wonderful, brother. Man, I, I, I just encourage you in that. It gives energy to prayer. I'm struggling right now. I'll pray for you. I'll pray with you. That encourages confidence and praise, which loneliness and selfishness and aloneness never can do. 
Jesus himself, who knew what was in man. We've seen that phrase a few times in the Gospels. Jesus, who knew what was in man, understood this as he ordered his disciples upon that very same wisdom when he said in Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 3, he's sending out his disciples. Listen, after these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whither he himself would come. He sent them two and two. Two is better than one. And therefore said he unto them, the harvest is truly great, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth labors into his harvest. Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. When you partner together to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you partner together to declare and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the lost, you have the built-in ability to encourage those who are with you. Your partner in faith. It's okay if from time to time you're by yourself and you share the gospel with somebody. I mean, that's okay. I mean, sometimes we are alone. Sometimes the Lord sends us, sends us alone for, for, various, for various reasons that only God knows. One's okay, but guess what? Two are better than one. He never says two and only two and not one. We do know that statement that says where two or three or two or more are gathered in his name. The Lord's there in their midst. So, you know, two plus, you know, two, two are better than one. Two plus is better than all of them, you know. But the point is, he sends them forth into the harvest. I, I struggle with those who don't want any connection whatsoever with any other kind of group. I'm, I, God's called me and me alone, and, and, and you know what? I, I don't trust churches, and I don't trust pastors, and I don't trust this. And so I'm going to do my own thing. Is that the Lord? Not according to his word. Because two are better than one. You might try to look for someone like-minded, you might find them. But then you have two that are just one plus one. Can go their own way if they don't like one thing or another of the other person. So what does he say? Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lamb among wolves. Well, a lamb among wolves is a lot better if there are more than just one lamb. Of course, you're going to be a strong lamb, and you're going to be a powerful lamb, and you're going to be a steadfast lamb, but two are better than one. And Jesus would also teach his followers about friendship throughout his own life. Or I should say, he would teach his followers about friendship through his own life. His own life is the example of that. When he, when he says in John 15, verses 13 to 15, he said, Greater love hath no man than this. That a man laid down his life for his friends. 
Ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. What I know I have given to you. What I know of my Father I have given it to you, so you are now my friend. We share this. And even in the early church, this, this principle was carried uh, on and through, as we see in Acts chapter 13, verse 2, where it talks about uh, 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 Barnabas and Saul, or who would later become Paul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. He names two. Barnabas and Saul. Why? Because two are better than one. And the weaker will always be yoked to the the stronger, as we'll see in just a moment. And you've always heard that from me. Anyway, we'll get to that in a moment. But it would be the Apostle Paul who would later write in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 25 and 26, that there should be no schism in the body. There should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. One for another. You should be caring for each other. You should be caring for me. I should be caring for you. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Someone once observed that in the body, all instruments of action are made by pairs. Hands, feet, eyes, ears, and legs. God didn't just give us one hand, he gave us two hands. Didn't give us just two feet or one foot, he gave us two feet. Two eyes. Some of us have four eyes. Some of us have six eyes. But the more the merrier. So two are better than one. Friendship is very important in that respect. I mean, if Jesus said, you're my friends, then I would say friendship is very important in the body of Christ. So how is friendship best defined then? Well, consider this, or these statements. Consider these statements. A friend is one who knows you as you are, understands where you've been, accepts who you've become, and still gently invites you to grow. That's quite a friend. Lawrence Peters of the Peter Principle years and years ago, we need to talk about all of that, but he did say something about it, kind of interesting. He said, he he has noted that you can always tell a real friend by the fact that when you've made a fool of yourself, he doesn't feel you've done a permanent job. That's a good friend. That didn't go over anybody's head, did it? Okay, because you're like, you're doing one of these things. 
Just smile. It, it was a good one. All right. Here's something else that somebody once said. They said, don't walk in front of me. I may not follow. Don't walk behind me. I may not lead. Just walk beside me and be my friend. Friendship's important. There really is no hierarchy in friendship. We want our friendships to be built together. Causes us to grow together. Two are better than one when it comes to working. Two are better than one when it comes to bringing warmth. Two are better than one in in watching and caring for another person. That statement makes for a pretty good outline for us, I think, which is what we're going to see here tonight. Two are better than one when it comes to working. And we'll focus on encouragement for the week, verses 9 and 10. And I'll give you these individually in just a moment. Two are better than one when it comes to bringing warmth, which can be seen as support for the vulnerable, verse 11. And two are better than one when it comes to watching and guarding protection for the oppressed, verse 12. So we begin with the issue of working or the encouragement for the weak, verses 9 and 10 of our text. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Two people working together get more done than if one works alone. That's pretty obvious, I would say. Each person has something to impart to prevent discouragement. Well, by the way, I I think that it's important in, in this understanding that we as friends as well as brothers in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ, should always work toward encouragement and not discouragement. So each person has something to impart to prevent discouragement. Each has something to impart to gain courage in threatening situations. Often when two people work together, One may be stronger or more experienced than the other, but each still needs the other. Although the Lord may not need us, Jesus still wants us to need him. And in effect, he needs us. As he says in a passage that I share with you a lot, from Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. And if you wonder why I share this with you a lot, it's because I'm still learning this. I still want to learn it. I still want to apply the fullness of this in my life every day. To understand that the Lord is saying to me as he says to you, come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. So Jesus would be the stronger one. To take his yoke upon us is to be yoked to him. It, it is to be linked to him. The yoke is a farm implement that ties two uh, beasts of burden together, whether two oxen or two, you know, of those types of animals. A stronger and a weaker. The stronger leads the weaker with that yoke, teaching the weaker what the stronger already knows. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Which says that if we're going to be the stronger, we need not to be weak, we need to be meek. And he uses that term, for I am meek and lowly in heart, does not mean he's weak. It means he's humble. Jesus humbled himself, came to this earth, humbled himself, took upon himself flesh, that we through that which we can see will experience the perfection of what we cannot see, the love of God for his children. And in fact, the love of God for his creation. Then he says, and you shall find rest unto your souls. I think we should say that more than not, when we work and accomplish something great, even though it was toilsome, even though it was hard, when we've accomplished our work, we can sit back and rest and say, oh, thank you, Lord. Look at that work. Uh, I really did, you know, I mean, I couldn't have done it without you, Lord, being with me, but now I can rest in that. We rest as if we were the ones that did all the work, and yet it was him. I can rest in his work. You know, it's kind of like that pickup basketball game, you know, where there's one little guy that doesn't know really how to dribble a ball, but wants to play, and he's always the last one that's picked, and sometimes not even picked at all. But it'd be like Jesus had a team and, and, and everybody got picked on the, you know, the other team and, and Jesus saw us and he says, you can be on my team. And guess who does all the scoring? Jesus. Duncan, and three shots, and, you know, the three pointers. And, and there we stand in there. And then he throws the ball at us and we throw it right back in and then he scores again. And then what happens? The game's over. And we've won 190,000 to nothing. And, he, and Jesus says, we won. Yes, we did. Did you score? No, but he was my teammate. And we won. When he was on the cross, guess who wins? Every teammate that identifies with his death burial and resurrection. Whew. What a friend we have in Jesus. Remember that old song? Oh, I love that song. What a friend we have in Jesus. One of these days we'll have to sing it. Friends are important in the scriptures. Naomi had her Ruth. 
Ruth would later have her Boaz. David had his Jonathan. Paul had his Timothy. And each gave instrumental support to the other. Someone once said, No receipt openeth the heart but a true friend, to whom you may impart griefs, joys, fears, hopes, suspicions, counsels, and whatsoever lieth upon the heart to oppress it. Friends, share all of those things. A friend is not a very good friend if they said, you know, I'd like to share all, my, all of your joys with me, but if you have any problems, you know, don't call us, we'll call you. Don't work that way. Those aren't good friends. In Solomon's time, the roads and the paths were not paved, and many times they were not even leveled. Even in the fields that were crossed were many, many hidden rocks. So it wasn't uncommon that many would stumble or fall, uh, or stumble and fall, uh, experience traveler or not. And what a joy to have a friend to be there to help you up. But how much more do we need someone when we stumble spiritually? This passage has come up a few times in recent weeks. Another passage I quote quite a bit. Both in our study of Ecclesiastes as well as in our study of 2 Thessalonians. But it is always worthy of another mention. So here it goes again. Galatians chapter 6. And I'm going to add one more verse to that. I usually just share verses 1 and 2 with you. But we're going to add verse 3 for just a moment. Paul said, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens. Remember the phrase, one another. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Love. That is the law of Christ. For if a man think himself, verse 3, let's look at verse 3. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Can we, for just a moment, focus on that phrase, one another? One another. It's not just one. It's one another. I am standing here and kind of by myself, but see, I don't consider myself by myself because I got you in front of me. And here we are looking at each other, one another. So we're really not by ourselves. If you're watching on live stream, I'm looking at you and you're looking at me. I'm not alone and neither are you. One another. Most of you remember the comic strip, Peanuts, I'm sure. Lucy one day asked Charlie Brown, 
Why are we here on earth? And Charlie Brown replied, To make others happy. And Lucy pondered that for a moment, and then she asked, Then why are the others here? Huh. Interesting question. If we're here to, ha- to make others happy, what are the others here for? So you see that phrase, one another, is one of the most important phrases that we find in the believer's vocabulary. Love one another is found at least a dozen times in the New Testament. Love one another. Jesus said that many times. Along with some other phrases that we should remember. For example, James chapter 5, verse 16. Notice what he says. Confess your faults one to another. Confess your faults one to another. And this is a, a double. This is a good double. And pray for one another. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another. That you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. What an opportunity. I think I mentioned this this past weekend. that, That if we pray for others, it lessens the burdens that we're dealing with in a great sense, in a great way. And that is exactly what we see here. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Because the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Not just to the person you're praying for, but for yourself. Think about 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. It says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together. Notice, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. To edify one another is to build one another up. We are to build one another up in the faith. I seek to do that each and every time we are here together. To build you up in the faith. To build you up in the wisdom and knowledge of God's word. To build you up. To encourage you. To live your life holy. To live your life right before God. To live it so that others may see Jesus in us. That's edifying one another. Romans chapter 12 verse 10 says, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. Be kindly affectioned one to another. That's hard to do when we're locked up. Praise the Lord, we're starting not to be locked up anymore. Why is this so important? Because I need your affection as you need mine. Oh, there's another thing here. Here's another double. In honor, preferring one another. In honor, preferring one another. 
I want you to be more honorable than me. I want to prefer you in honor above myself. Peter says in 1 Peter 4 verse 9, use hospitality one to another without grudging. You know, for the longest time, we couldn't have visitors, right? I mean, we couldn't have visitors come to our home. Uh, so, you know, we stayed in most of the time. If we really wanted some company, we go to Walmart. So at least you see about 7,000 people there. All social distancing, right? Yeah, all right. Okay, well, we've had enough of Walmart. We better go to Lowe's now. I did that one day not too long ago. Went to Walmart and I went to Lowe's, man. And it was like, everybody in El Paso's here. Because they just want to get out and see people and be around somebody, even if it's six feet away. You know, crazy, isn't it? But when we have the opportunity, you know, here's one thing that this, this, this verse here, verse 9, use hospitality one to another without grudging, is to say that, you know, we don't look out the window and we see somebody coming, somebody from church and say, oh, man, they're coming. Oh, gee whiz, you know. Yeah, the house is a mess, and we don't have anything for this, you know, for for snacks or whatever. And then they open the doors. Oh, brother, so nice to see you. But inside, you're just grudging. Ha! That's crazy. No, use hospitality one to another. How can you be hospitable if you're not together? Here's something that we need to remember as believers in Jesus Christ. What Paul said in Romans 15, verses 1 and 2. He said, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. That's hard to do in this time of the pandemic. Hard to do. But in effect, we're, we're commanded to do so. And so, in working, two are better than one, always. And when it comes to bringing warmth, we need to remember to support the vulnerable as that last passage in Romans 15 kind of leads us into. Verse 11 of Ecclesiastes 4 says, Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? Now, I've never lived up in like Alaska or, you know, any place where it's really cold and, you know, toward the North Pole kind of thing. But, uh, you know, they, they... I've read, and I'm sure we probably all learned this as in school, you know, that, you know, people that live in igloos, you know, and have, you know, dogs for, you know, sleds and stuff, that, that at night when they get into their igloos, which are made out of snow, I mean, out of, uh, out of well, yeah, out of snow and, and ice, that they get in there, and, and the way they warm themselves is they got their dogs in there, you know, it's a, that's where that phrase three dog night came from, you know, how many remember three dog night, you know, look at all the old people. Yeah, they're all here. Man, oh man, yeah. <laughs> Mama told me not to come. Anyway, so, <laughs> so, 
But that's, you know, three dog night, by the way. You know, it's a, it's a three dog night. We need three dogs in here, you know. Ooh, it's a five dog night. Get, get some more in there. Okay, so you got the idea. So, you know, warmth, I mean, that's, we share that warmth. So again, if two lie together, then they have heat, but how can one be warm alone? How many of you today consider yourselves exposed and unguarded? Vulnerable. Not only to the elemental circumstances, but, but to the mysteries and the injustices of life in this world. Though this verse reminds us of the conditions that travelers were exposed to in the Middle East and how they needed to gain warmth from one another during the cold desert evenings, it points out for us as well the vulnerability many face alone. Starting a new job, going to a new school, whenever school opens, being in a hospital waiting room, or sitting in a courtroom waiting to testify. Hey, those could be cold places. Of course, those who work in the courts today, you know, they're working out of their homes today too, so. Uh, who was it, Spanky? Did you mention that, uh, you know, this, the, the one good thing about the pandemic is we don't have to do jury duty? Is that what it is? Okay. <laughs> but at times like these, you know, where, where people are going through this vulnerability of something new or something, you know, tragic or, or something painful, we need a friend. Two are better than one here. The Lord has promised his children that he, that he would never leave us nor forsake us. And so in him, in him, we're never alone. There may be times when we have to depend upon the Lord's presence. The good thing is, he's always present. Because he said he would be. And how could he not be if he's a God who is in every place at every moment. Omnipresent is the theological term. He provides that still small voice like he did for Elijah. When Elijah thought he was alone and a still small voice came to Elijah And soon after, God provided him not only the voice of his own presence, God provided Elijah with a friend. His name is Elisha. Turn to 2 Kings chapter 2 for just a moment. 2 Kings chapter 2. And uh, this is real easy to remember. 2 Kings 2, beginning at verse 2. But it's going to be verse 2, verse 4, and verse 6. So 2, 4, 6. 2 Kings 2, 2, 4, and 6. Verse 2. And Elijah said unto Elisha. Now, by the way, Elisha's getting, Elijah is getting ready to be taken up. To leave this earth. So with that in mind, consider this. And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee. In other words, wait here. For the Lord has sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, 
I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. They went down together to Bethel. Skip over to verse 4. And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee. For the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they, together, came to Jericho. Verse 6. And Elijah said unto him, Terry, I pray thee here, for the Lord hath sent me to Jordan. And he, Elisha, the protege to Elijah the mentor, said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they too went on. It's a beautiful picture of God providing for us the friendship that we need in the midst of our, of our vulnerabilities. Not that Elijah had many vulnerabilities. He, he actually did. I mean, he, we, we saw that pretty clearly after he destroyed the prophets of Baal. I mean, there was a power in what had happened because God did all of that. But then he hears that Jezebel is coming after him and, and Elijah's on his high, you know, just running, getting out, trying to find a place to hide from who? Jezebel. Alone, yeah, there he was vulnerable. But aren't we all, to some extent, to some degree, why we need each other, why we need our spouse, why we need our friends. And then there's the issue of watching, protection for the oppressed. Verse 12 of our text, it says, and if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. It was always dangerous for anyone to travel alone, so most traveled in groups. More people today fear some kind of attack when traveling now than ever before, whether it be due to terrorist threats or just the lawlessness of people nowadays, and now even viruses and the like. People are afraid they don't travel. Travel industry has really suffered. But even in the spiritual life, we have an adversary. Even in the spiritual life, we have an adversary who is determined, he is relentless, and he is clever. And we need someone to strengthen us in times of struggle through prayer, through support, and through counsel, because we cannot do it alone. We cannot do it alone. Solomon began by pointing out the one in verse 8, right? That one selfish, comfortless man. And then he pointed out the benefits of two together in verses 9 through 11. But now he closes with three. Now he closes with three. One cord 
could be easily broken. Two cords wound together would require more strength, but could still be broken. But three cords woven together cannot be easily broken. Are we in our friendships woven together with Christ? That's the threefold cord. That's the third cord. Jesus, who has wrapped himself around the two who are better than the one. Is Jesus at the center of our relationships with others? Whether it be here at church, in, in, in our congregation, in our fellowship. Or with those that we work with. I know that we all have to have, you know, we have acquaintances that are, some of them are still in the world. And, you know, that's when we need prayer to say, you know, Lord, I, 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 want, to, I want to live my life in a way that's, you know, that reflects Jesus Christ in me so that I can be a witness to them, whether I witness with my life or I can get an opportunity to witness with my mouth and, and, and tell them the gospel, whatever it is. Jesus has to be at the center of every relationship that we have. Won't we find more strength? Won't we find more courage and warmth and protection Knowing his presence among us is binding us together for his great and awesome purposes. That's what, we, that's what we need to concentrate on. That's what we need to ponder. That's what we need to meditate upon. Is the strength, the courage, and warmth and protection that we have knowing that his presence in our lives in our lives with those that we have fellowship with or that we have a, an acquaintance with is binding us together for God's great purposes. I know this is taking us back to the late 60s, early 70s, but God and God alone is, is our bridge over troubled waters. He alone. He alone. The Lord Jesus Christ is alone our bridge over troubled waters. And in this world, we will find a lot of troubled waters. Sometimes the moment we open our eyes is getting up in the morning. Going out the door. Time and time again through this pandemic, I've been saying we live in a world of risk. Every day's a risk in a fallen world. We should trust the Lord Jesus Christ in it. We should trust his voice over every voice. Are you ready to be bound to others? and to Jesus Christ as well in a threefold cord that is not easily broken. 
I would hope that that's what would become of any friendship we have with acquaintances who are still in the world. Because we don't want to adopt their world. We don't want to adopt their way of thinking or their way of doing things. But do we love them enough to see them eye to eye so that one day the binding cord of Jesus will bind us together in the love of Christ. Let me leave you with three verses from Proverbs. Proverbs 17 and Proverbs 27. And the number 17 will come up two more times. Proverbs 17, 17. Easy to remember. A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Whatever friendships that we nurture, the Lord turns them into an even closer brotherhood. Proverbs 27, verse 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. The wounds of a friend who will be honest and open and humble at the same time to say what needs to be said and would be open to whatever we might have to say. But it isn't a contest as to who can pick out the worst parts of our friendships. It's just that sometimes it becomes apparent and we need to encourage someone to step away from a path that they may be going down that will bring them down. No greater friend, Jesus said, than the one who'll give his life. Lastly, Proverbs 27, 17, there it is again. Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. There's purpose that God has for us where two are better than one. Our lives are sharpened. We become more focused because our conversation is not always about sports or it's not always about other things in this world or life. When our conversation is about Jesus, that sharpens us. And we need that sharpening in these last days and times. So, always remember, two are better than one.